Well, we are walking through this series we started a couple of weeks ago entitled Love God, Love People. And this is a series that we have been walking through as we've been kind of tying it to, connecting it to our reading as we're reading through God's Word. You know that we challenged you going back to the beginning of January this year to read through God's Word in six months. Good news, we're just past halfway through God's Word, and I pray that you have been sticking with us and walking with us as we're reading through. And if you've not, listen, don't get discouraged. Don't sit up, throw your hands up and say, well, I'm done. I can't jump in now. You can. I promise you, God will always bless the reading of His Word, even when it's not on our schedule, okay? So dig in, start now. Uh, you can download the app there on the, uh, the Bible app. Our, our, our reading plan is there. You can also go to our website, which was just right below me on the screen. It has now disappeared. I went too slowly. There it is. It's back. And you can uh, go there and follow along because all of our sermons going all the way through July are going to be tied to, connected to this uh, reading plan so that we're not only reading through God's Word, we're preaching through God's Word. And so that's what we're going to do. And today is no different. Now, the book of Esther is an interesting book. Charles talked about it briefly last week when he was speaking of Ezra and Nehemiah. Esther was kind of, this book was written in the context and the time period, kind of right smack dab in the middle of that season, about 480 so or so BC, uh, the time of King Xerxes. Now, the King Xerxes is also known by another name that I will read in a few moments when I'm reading through the passage of Scripture. Uh, Xerxes is his Greek name. His Hebrew name is not a lot of fun to say, and I'm going to mess it up. And I use the word Xerxes rather than that one because if I actually use the Hebrew reading, probably those of you on the front row would get a, a little wet this morning because I would, it's just, the Hebrew is just not good. But anyway, it's during that season. And Esther's an interesting book, and, and it's a perfect correlation, a perfect passage that ties with what we're talking about this week of what Jesus did, of what, how He died on the cross, and how He was buried, and how He rose again. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, wait a minute, I've seen VeggieTales. How does that tie to what Jesus did? How does that connect? How does that kind of line up together? And you'll, you'll get there, I promise you, because what we see in this passage is literally Esther giving us an example of what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 15 when he said that there is no greater love than when someone would lay down his life for a friend. That's what Jesus did for all of us. And it's what Esther is an example of, a picture of in this passage. We'll, we'll get there in a few moments. But I've entitled the sermon today, uh, Right Place, Right Time, for the Right Purpose. And the reason I've entitled it that, and you'll see as we kind of walk through, because this is clearly uh, an incredible narrative of, of what that looks like and how we can apply it in our own lives. Now, before we jump into the passage, let me take just like a, a one minute, give you a one minute summary uh, kind of the context of what's going on. So King Xerxes is the king. He's ruling the kingdom that runs from about Pakistan down to Sudan. It's a big kingdom. He has collected a lot of power, a lot of land. Uh, a lot of people serve him. And so in Esther chapter 1, he decides he's going to have a big party to celebrate how awesome he is, right? And so he invites uh, about 15,000 people to a banquet. How would you like to pay that bill? How many of you ever had a child get married? Anybody have a child get married? So you had, how many have a daughter that got married? Yeah, so you know, how would you like 15,000 people to come to your daughter's wedding and you got to pay the bill, right? I'd say, sweetie, elope, right? And so the king decides to have a big party to celebrate how awesome he is, so he invites about 15,000 people to come, and for six months he has this party. 
and he celebrates how powerful he is. He celebrates how wealthy he is. He celebrates the fact that he's kingdom of such a big land. And then, if that wasn't enough, it says in Esther chapter 1, he gets to the place where he wanted to celebrate a little further. And so he decided that he wanted to not only brag about his wealth and his power and his status, he wanted to brag about the fact that he had the prettiest wife in the land. And so he sends a message to King, uh, Queen Vashti to come and that she was going to become and, and, and that he would present her or parade her in front of all those who had come to celebrate how awesome he is. And so he sends a message and says, Queen, I want you to come and I want you to parade in front of all my friends. I want to show off how pretty you are. Now, Queen Vashti decides this, no, not going to do it. Now, that, it's not a simple thing, guys, let's be honest. Those of us who are married, we have all had our wives, like, have told us no for some reason, you know, hey, hey, honey, can you go with me? No. Uh, honey, can you put no? We've all said no. They've said no. That's a normal thing. It was not a normal thing in the palace. When the queen said no to the king and anything that he requested and anything he said, uh, she would pay with her life. And so the fact that Queen Vashti said, uh, no, king, I'm not going to do that, was a pretty brave, a pretty uh, a big deal. And so he decides that he's, well, he's angry, he's furious, and so he decides to banish her, and then he decides to pick a new wife, a new queen. And so he uh, talked to some people there, and they said, well, let's, you know, we'll pull some together and, and give you some options. Now, depending on who you read, if you look through the, you know, Josephus uh, says it was about 400, some writing says about 1,400. 400 to 1,400 women were all brought to the palace. They were all prepared to go before the king. They were, you know, they did their hair, they did their makeup. It was the biggest beauty pageant that's ever been. 400 to 1,400 women, and over a season, a period of four years, they were auditioning for the spot to be the queen. And in the middle of that, there's this guy, Mordecai, who happens to be a servant within the palace, who has a a relative that he had kind of taken on and and was raising, and her name was Esther. And so he decides to put Esther into the pool of potential queens, right? So you got the context, right? You understand how that's working, right? And so they're walking through, they're going through all the different procedures, four years trying to find a new wife, 400 to 1,400 women who had to audition, and finally... It's Esther's turn. So let's go to our passage today, Exodus chapter, I did it, I did it, I did it. Esther chapter 2, and we're going to read this passage in verse 15 to talk about Esther being in the right place. Look what it says here. And so Esther was the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Haggai, the king's trusted official in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. So Mordecai had had kind of adopted as his own, his cousin, and now Esther is uh, kind of, he's raising her. By the way, Mordecai's about 120 years old at this time. It says that he was one of those taken into captivity back in 597 B.C. It's now about 480 B.C. So he's about 115, 120 years old, and he has Esther there. And it says Esther, along with all the other women, that she's brought before the king. And when she's brought before the king, it says that she won approval. She stood out among all that were brought in. Of everybody that he had the opportunity of auditioning, of everybody that he had the opportunity of of talking to and, and interviewing, Esther was like head and shoulders better than anybody else. And so he chose Esther to be the queen. Now you think about the narrative here. Remember now, Mordecai was taken into captivity in 597 BC, so he's a slave. 
And this slave now happened to be taken from his family, and he's serving in Susa, the, the winter palace of the king in a foreign land, and, and happened to have the opportunity of kind of becoming somewhat in leadership. And as he comes somewhat in leadership now, he's able to get his cousin that, who happened to be an orphan, who happened to be one that he took into his own household, and he happened to get her in as a slave into the pool of potential queens, and she happened to be chosen as the queen. So you can see the unlikely narrative, the unlikely story that took place. Esther's now the queen. And so now she's in the right place, but not only the right place, she was there in the right time. Look what it says now, because after, this, uh, after she was chosen, you know, there was this situation where this other leader, the second in command, this guy named Haman, he got ticked off because he wanted everybody to bow down to him. We all know somebody, you know, in our own lives, they, they want everyone to bow down to them, right? Some arrogant people. Haman was one of those guys. And so he wanted everyone to bow down to him, and Mordecai would not do it. And he found out about it, and he was angered by it. So let's pick up the story here in Exodus. Uh, there we go again. Esther, somebody hold up like cue cards. Esther. We're in Esther, Esther chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So when Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnic identity, Haman decided not to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout, um, now here's that, that, that Hebrew name, it's Achashverosh, or Xerxes, which one do you like better? We're going to go with Xerxes and Xerxes' kingdom. So, so here's the deal. Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew, and he decided, I'm going to kill the Jew, I'm going to kill Mordecai, and I'm going to kill not only him, but all of his people, because he was angered so much. So he went to the king, and he talked to the king, and he said, hey, listen, this is an important thing. You ought to do this, because they're not honoring you. They're not bowing down to you. They're not giving you the due respect that you deserve. And so the king signs the decree and, and sets it in motion that all of the Jews would be killed. And so Haman got that to that point. Now Mordecai is in trouble. All of the Jews are in trouble. Remember, Esther the queen is a Jew, but nobody knows it. So let's keep reading. Skip over another chapter. Let's go to Esther chapter 4 and verse 1. So when Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, he went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering into the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted and they wept and they lamented, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. So here's the story. Mordecai, here's what's happening. He hears that the edict has been signed by the king that all of his people are going to be killed, that they're going to pay with their lives for being Jewish. Obviously, he is, you know, he's, he's sorrowful. Obviously, he's upset. And so he goes and he's sitting at the gate of the city where all the people come to do business, where all the people are gathered, the important people. And he's sitting there having once been a pretty important person within the, the, the palace and the king's court. And now here he is out in the front, sackcloth, ashes, and he is wailing and weeping bitterly and loudly for everyone to see. That message gets back to Esther. And so she was in the right place, but not only in the right place, she was in that place at the exact right place time, because then Mordecai decided to have a conversation with Esther. Mordecai sent a message to Esther and said, you got to do something about this. You've got to do something to change what's happening here, because if you don't, I will die. All of the Jews will die. 
And even you, Esther, as a Jew, will die. So right place, right time, and here we go, for the right purpose. So let's read what took place when that conversation happened. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai speaking to Esther said this, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows, he said, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. If I pay with my own life, so be it. So she was in the right place, the right time, for the right purpose. So what does this mean to us? How can we apply this in our own journey, in our own lives? How can we use her story to apply to our story? Here's just a couple of quick thoughts I want to give you. And the first one is this, is just like Esther, we must speak when we have the opportunity to stand up for truth. Look what it says in the first part of verse 14. Mordecai said, if you keep silent at this time, he wanted her to understand. I know you're sitting there in the palace. I know you're comfortable. I know things are going well for you. I know that you don't have to worry about what's happening out in the kingdom. I know that you got all the money that you could ever want. You've got all the power that you could ever want. You've got a position and status more and better than anyone else. I know you're in a really good place. But let me just let you know, things are bad. Truth is being attacked. Your people are being attacked. And so if you keep silent now, listen, here's how we apply that to us. We live in a time and a place and a culture where the exact same things are happening to us as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ. The world is attacking. Truth is under attack. God's word is under attack. God himself is under attack in our culture. And just as Mordecai called out to Esther, you have got to speak the same thing God is saying to us. We got to speak. We got to stand up and be heard. We've got to be willing to do as what Peter and John said in John um, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, when they were attacked, when they were facing opposition for speaking, and Peter and John just said, listen, we can't help but to speak the truth. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we can't help it. We can't do anything but speak truth. So here, listen, let me, when you face opposition, when you are standing up against those who are attacking your faith, attacking the God, uh, God's word, attacking the gospel, we must speak just as Esther must. But not only the fact that we must speak, we must also recognize that when we speak, we are here for his purposes. It's for his purposes, not ours. Look what it says in the last part of verse 14. The last part of verse 14, again, Mordecai speaking to Esther says this, who knows, perhaps you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. In other words, God has put you where you are for such a time as this. And you think, well, obviously, she's the queen. She's in a pretty powerful position. Hey, make no mistake. Every person in this room, every person watching right now, God has placed you where you are for such a time as this. 
When you go to your classroom tomorrow and the teacher stands up and begins to teach things that aren't true, that begins to attack the Word of God, let me just tell you, God has placed you there for such a time as this. When you live in a culture and a time where even our government is saying, making declarations that what was once true is now no longer true, what which was science is now no longer science, let me just tell you, as followers of Jesus Christ, God has placed us here for such a time as this. That we must stand up and speak truth. That we must stand up and be counted. Because God has placed us here for His purposes, not ours. Esther could have said, listen, I'm comfortable. If I speak, I might lose my position. Remember what happened to Vashti? Yes, she's no longer heard of. She's gone. She's banished. She's not queen anymore. That could happen to me if I speak. And here's what Mordecai said. So what? Because God has placed you here for such a time as this. Same thing is true of you and me. So we got to speak. And we got to speak because it's for His purposes, not ours. But here's something else Esther realized, and we need to as well, is that our only hope is when we depend completely on Him. Look what it says in this passage in verse 16, the first part of that verse. Esther replies, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. So here's the cool thing we can learn from that. Esther could have said, you're right, Mordecai, this is tragic, this is awful, this is horrible, we gotta do something, I'm gonna run in right now and I'm gonna tell the king what he's gotta do. That's not what she did, why? Well, she knew it was against the law for her to go to the king. She knew that if she had not been summoned to the king, even as his queen, if she walked into the throne room and said, hey dude, listen, we gotta have a talk. She knew that she would pay with her life because it was against the law for her to show up to the king when she was not called. So what did she do? She recognized this. If I go to the king and talk to him about this, I mean, this could be like my life on the line here. So we got to pray. We got to fast and pray. Man, what a great lesson for us. What that tells us is this. That when you're sitting there one day and you see something going on and you hear things on Twitter and Facebook where people are attacking what you believe and you sit down and you kind of, you know, warm up your fingers and you go to town to attack them back and what God said, hey, take a breather and pray. Wouldn't it be cool if everybody, every Christian, every person who's a follower of Christ, that it was required of us that we took a 24-hour time of prayer and fasting before we responded to anybody on Facebook and Twitter? How cool would that be? I think the world would be a better place to live, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be awesome, right? It'd be all roses and, I mean, just beautiful, right? And so, so, so she knew the only hope she had, Esther, was to pray and fast before she acted. Man, let that be a lesson to you. All of us are going to face opposition. All of us are going to face challenge. All of us are going to face moments where we don't know what to do and we don't know where to turn. We're going to face those moments where literally we might pay with our life Perhaps in our culture, in our world, we've seen that happen. We might pay with our status. We might pay with our acceptance. We might pay with, you know, people liking us. And so our only hope is to depend completely on God and recognize God has placed us here for such a time as this. We're here for His purpose. But God, oh God, I need you to help me. Esther knew that. And we better too. And then we come to the final thought that we could walk away from this passage with for us, where it just simply gives us this. Sometimes it requires us to sacrifice for His purpose. 
It doesn't always turn out exactly the way that we want. So look at the last part of verse 16 where Esther said these words, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. She knew that as she walked into the king to stand up for those that she loved and those that she cared for, as she went in there to stand up for truth, for righteousness, for right, she knew that she might pay with her life, but she didn't care. Remember John 15? Greater love has no man than one who would lay down his life for a friend. She was willing to do that. Oh, and by the way, can you think of someone else who did that? Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Jesus said these words, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. He went on to say in this verse, it is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. He was willing to lay down his life for us, to die for us. He also tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, Esther learned that she had an opportunity to make a difference and to stand up to give life to those who didn't deserve it and who couldn't earn it on their own. Listen, Jesus did that for you and me, and it comes through believing in Him. Jesus is our hope. So you see the correlation between the life of Esther, a queen who lived 2,500 years ago, in a foreign land who happened to become queen by this weird set of circumstances that, that allowed her, who came from a family of captives and slaves, to be the queen because God placed her there in a moment that truly was for such a time as this. What a great lesson it is that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how important you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, God has us here for such a time as this. And what we must do is to be an example of and a representative of what Jesus did, what Esther was willing to do, to love God with all of our heart, souls, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. We must do what it takes to do right. So let that be a lesson for you this week. As we walk into this holy week, as we walk into this week where we remember what Jesus did for us, the fact that he died and that he was buried and that he rose again, that every day we have the opportunity to allow ourselves to be used in that way, not physically dying perhaps, but, but certainly we have the opportunity of sacrificing for his purpose this week because God has called us to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge that we receive when we just simply read your word. God, even in a book that oftentimes is not tied to things that, that we see, and sometimes we read the book of Esther and we, we kind of read a story and we don't really connect it to how we can live out in our own journey, in our own lives. But God, what a great lesson. Lord, as you breathe those words out to the writer of this book, God, thank you because it, it speaks truth. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to live that kind of truth and that kind of life day by day. God will give you the praise as you use us to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, today's March 28. A year ago, today, there was a young man who was part of our church. I guess he wasn't that young. He was 50 years old. 
young to me because I'm older than that. Every Sunday, he would sit in this service, and he would sit right here on this front row. He would sit with me every Sunday along with this young man, David Aiello. We would sit together, and we'd worship together. This guy's name was Benji Nasser. Benji was a, a, a young man that, that had, had Down syndrome, and he spent his entire life, you know, battling those kinds of things. Later in life, he began battling cancer. Just had a challenge at every turn, and problems at every turn. It seemed like no matter what he did, like just more and more troubles, more and more problems, more and more issues. What was really cool about Benji, and it's why I love to sit with him in church, is because in every one of those situations, no matter how bad it got, he was just a guy who loved God and loved others. Man, he loved God and he loved people. I remember went and, I went and saw him at the hospital. He was in intensive care. Doctor said, man, there's not a lot of hope here. And I walk in there as a pastor. I'm going to go try to encourage the guy. You know, just go kind of lift his spirits a little bit, you know. You know, just kind of, hey, it's all good, man. And I walk in there to talk with him and pray with him. And as I'm seated there with him in the hospital room, as he's sitting there heading towards death, What's amazing is what he did is he actually encouraged me. He didn't want me to pray for him because he thought he was a better prayer than I am any day of the week. And I would agree with him. He wanted to pray for me. And he wanted to talk about what God's doing. He wanted to talk about how awesome God is. He thanked God for his Down syndrome. He thanked God in his prayers for his cancer because it might be an opportunity to give glory to God in what he was going through. How cool is that? Wouldn't you love to have that kind of heart? Well, so, so listen, one year ago today, Benji passed away. And so for the last year, I've still been sitting here in this service every Sunday, but there's been one seat that's been empty and that's where Benji sat, but there's been one seat that has not been empty and that's, that's Benji's best friend. This is David Aiello. And David is, is, we sit together every Sunday. We have the opportunity of worshiping together and and, and man, faithfully, he's always here. And, and so David asked me a while, ago, a while ago, if on this day, is that at this moment, at this time of invitation, because Benji was such a, a, a presenter of the gospel and everything that he did, David asked me if he, if he could pray in our invitation today on this one-year anniversary of Benji's death, and by the way, two days before this young man on Tuesday turns 35, and David asked if he could pray today, and I said, absolutely. And so, David, I'm going to ask you if you would pray for our invitation today. Yeah, yeah, buddy. All right, guys. As you know, this is our friend and Ben Nigel's anniversary. Man, we love him. But guess what? He's in heaven with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful morning. We celebrate. Benjamin Nasser this morning. Lord, thank you for the life that he had in this, on, on this world. Thank you, Lord, that he had this life of, has a purpose, a meaning, and to go on with his life. But Lord, we, we all know that he is now rejoicing with you in heaven. Now, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all the, the team here this morning. Thank you for Pastor Jonathan for his preaching and teaching. Lord, we love you, and we love you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, David.
I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. Now, if you'd like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you about that information. I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen. It's pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. If you'd also like to help contribute to our ministries, we take this message of the gospel around the world. Go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. Help us let people know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that we can find hope in Jesus.